The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium melodic gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. Happy New Year, kids. New Year, same me, same you. You survived 2017, let's friggin' do this thing. Journey into the woods with me, where a bunch of kids are building structures that come to them in dreams. We're gonna play some Point Mystic today. Onward to glory and the future. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. Point Mystic is a fascinating project by author Christopher Reynaga, who has stitched these stories together in a way that blurs reality and fiction. And I know you've heard that a lot. Lots of people do that. Lots of projects mess with the perception of reality, some of them nonfiction that toys uncomfortably with the lives of real dead people, some of them fiction that trickily masquerades as nonfiction. This isn't that at all. This is something akin to Dan Leone's podcast Meander, where you know that some of it is real and most of it is false, but those two elements, the real elements and the fiction elements, exist in a kind of pleasurable tension, each supporting the other without subtracting from either. There are a few things that make Point Mystic really enjoyable for me. One is how unstudied the performances sound when they are performances. The show is designed in the fashion of a This American Lifestyle piece of narrative nonfiction, with Christopher's voiceover guiding us in and out of interviews and field recordings with his wife, his son, his neighbors, and the woods around his home. But the way the story is constructed is really compelling to me. Not to give the game away or anything, but Christopher's son, Fox, came up with the fiction parts of this story. And then, in a way that I find really deeply moving and sweet, the entire family collaborated on making this story together. Another thing I love about Point Mystic is the way that Christopher deploys music at just the right time with the glorious exactitude that reminds me of my years in college radio and how I was always seeking out that exact perfect way to talk over a song such that my vocals would drop out just before the song got good. Try it at home by talking over the first 14 seconds of Pressure Drop by Toots and the Maytals. But the third thing I love about Point Mystic is how it gives spaces for people to speak for themselves for Fox to be Fox, for Christopher's interview subjects to speak candidly and honestly, even if they're discussing fictitious things, it approaches some convergent and beautiful truth. So I'm going to give it room to speak and get out of its way. This is Point Mystic with White Rabbit, Part 1. This happened in early October just a few weeks ago in a small coastal town. A boy, age 10, went missing from his home. It's the middle of the night. His bed is empty. The front door was left open. Here's his mother, Marguerite Croft. I I don't know. I don't know what happened so that I woke up in the night and knew he was gone. But it's I I just knew that something was wrong. And I went I went to the kids room and Fox wasn't there. You know, we, we frantically look everywhere and. Like the, the adrenaline's pumping, and it's it's like he's nowhere, and um, and it's oh, 
there's there's and there's nothing like that fear when they're gone. The sheriff took it very seriously and sent a car, but then said something odd when the parents gave their address. The dispatcher asked, Do you live up by the woods near Wildwood Road? The parents said yes. The dispatcher said, Go to the trailhead. It's at the end of that street. There's an old boat park there. And if he's there, just inside the woods, call us back, and we'll cancel the call. And they asked how the sheriff knew that their son might be in these woods. Then it hits me because I used to spend the summers here when I was a kid. And I remember, I remembered for the first time in so long what's in those woods. So we go toward the trailhead. Um, and, and just inside the woods, there he is. You know, and he's wearing his pajama pants and, um, and he's missing his t-shirt. He's got one sock on. It's like his, it's his red Iron Man sock. And he's shivering. And he's building something. He's building something huge. I'm Christopher Reynaga, and this is Point Mystic. Each episode, we speak about the stories behind the myths and legends, the unexplained, the magical. Today, I'm going to tell you about an innocent-sounding dream and the things built by the children of a small town. My town, the one that I've recently moved to. A disclosure for today's show. The boy in question is my son. And for reasons of privacy, I won't reveal the name of the town. We're walking to the thing that Fox was building. You can see glimpses of the shore from the woods, but it doesn't take long to feel dwarfed by the trees as they close around you. Oh my god. Oh my. Look at it. That's amazing. Wow. Am I built this? Uh, yeah. This impossibly twisted trapezoid of branches is what our son was building in the darkness of the woods. It's only partially complete on one side. It's so big. Yeah, as big as the biggest one. How do you, how did you lift these things? I really don't know. Well, what do you think? What does it look like to you? Kind of like a wall. Or a cage? with a wall. And you don't remember any of this? No, I don't. When I was a kid growing up, my friends and I built forts out of plywood overlooking the creek near my house. This is something else entirely. You see, there are close to a hundred of these structures climbing the hill as far as we can see. Whoa, look at that one. They're all made of branches, tightly interlaced without anything to hold them together. Some of these structures are so old that they are like skeletons of wood, melting back into the earth. None look anything like a fort. Most look like modern art, or ancient totems. 
I think one of the creepiest ones was this weird wooden stick with three trees around it and two sticks leading from one tree to the other trees and then just this open space. Kind of like a circle? Morally like a triangle without a bottom. What other kind of weird shapes are out there? There's this one that's like a, I guess sort of a square by a tree and this tree has weird blue writing on it. You can't read it and it's... And that's the one that you can't get inside. There's no windows, there's no doors. Square one? Yeah, square one. It's really more star-shaped, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. There's all these weird, just so many weird shapes. If strange wooden shapes in the woods seem familiar, that's because of a famous true story of an artist named Lee Brown Coy, whose obsession with hundreds of eerie, unexplained stick structures he found in 1938 deep in the woods of Pitcher, New York, became the focus of his famous artwork. If you've seen The Blair Witch Project, or the latest seasons of American Horror Story and True Detective, that true-life mystery is where much of the modern cinematic inspiration comes from. But there's nothing really mysterious about how the structures in these woods got here. You see, the kids in this town have been building them for years. One of the largest murals depicted on the walls of our local cafe, Calliope's, is based on real Victorian-era photographs of children sitting on one of the early wildwood structures that no longer exists. It's shaped like a headless animal, crouched and ready to spring. And you would have no idea how massive it was if not for the row of girls in long dresses astride its back, posing for the camera. One girl, the closest to the viewer, sits astride the empty neck, her long black hair dangling over her face as she weaves the sticks. It's one of these kinds of structures that Fox had been building when we found him. The thing is, he couldn't remember building it. He could only remember waking up from the dream. When I woke up, I was in the woods, sitting against a tree, and there was these structures that weren't there before. And you, you woke up and it was just there? Just there. I not know how I got there, it just was there. So what was the dream like? What? Oh, the dream. It was strange. I just fell asleep and, well, there was flowing through blackness and then this weird structure-ish thing popped out and a voice rang out. You shall build this. Then at the end, it, there was a giant rabbit and then it just grew larger and larger and larger than I woke up. A, a rabbit? Yeah, giant rabbit with red, blood-red eyes. Then dragon wings. <laughs> and dragon wings? Yep. And tentacles. And very sharp teeth. But otherwise it looks like a rabbit. A white rabbit, to be exact. Like the kind that magicians pull out of their hats. But the thing Fox told me is that he wasn't the only one dreaming of the wooden structures. A lot of the kids in town have the dreams. His best friend Benny had been dreaming and building them too. Benny showed his structure to me. If Fox's looks like a cage, his best friend's structure looks like a lopsided cone. He calls it the teepee. I asked Benny if he had a white rabbit in his dream. 
He said no. But he said that there was something else. Have you ever seen Alice in Wonderland? Yes, yes I have. The newer one? There's that giant white spotted thing. It doesn't have an eye, but then that gets its eye back. Yeah, because of the mouse. Yeah. For listeners that haven't read Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, this creature isn't the white rabbit that Alice follows down the rabbit hole. This is Carol's monster, the Bandersnatch. Whatever this white creature actually was, in the dreams about his wooden structure, it chased him. I ran and I ran and I ran, but I just didn't seem to be going anywhere. I looked down and I followed. And then I found it in here. And I was in a teepee and I woke up in the teepee and it turned out I wasn't actually in my bed. There was one person I could talk to to help make sense of this. My wife, Marguerite. She spent summers here growing up and built these structures, too, as a child. So, you know, that's, uh, that was how I first realized that I belonged here, that I, was, that I had been accepted. Is that point where I was with the other kids up in the woods building the structures. Like... It was the most amazing thing. As a kid, I always felt like I was really out of control and couldn't do a lot. But when we built those things, it was like I was so powerful and so capable because I could do this thing. I could make this thing that was bigger than me, like it was bigger than all of us. And when I look at them now, like they're so creepy. But as a kid, it was the most magical thing. It was like we were building the fairy tale. The structures you built as a, as a kid, do you remember what they looked like, any of their shapes, anything like that? Yeah, I could draw you pictures. Like some of them are so implanted in my memory I could draw them for you I mean I think it would be unlikely but some of them might still be there I remember one um, was like a beehive and I don't think that's how I would have described it to you at the time you know it had a large a large base that, and, 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 and all these levels that just um got smaller and smaller and smaller till it had a dome top and you could go inside and crawl through like the the levels of the hexagons inside of the beehive and I used to go and crawl up in there and read and draw pictures and and some of my friends like my really special friends could come inside I felt really protective and, and serious ownership of this thing not just anybody could go in The structures built by the children are a mystery, but it turns out that they're part of an even larger one. What Marguerite remembers even more than building the structures is a legend that she and her friends believed that the structures were related to. A legend that anyone in this town can tell you about. The legends about the doors. Some people think that we are literally the town of doors that we're like obsessed with our uh, with our door art. You've noticed everybody paints their doors like really um, bright colors with 
like interesting murals on them, the knockers and the doorknobs and everything. But after I'd come back for several summers, I realized we were really talking about something else. We were talking about doors, which aren't really doors. They're like these entryways into other places. And I remember stories of the doors and and dreaming of doors and like the concept that there were these doors to all these other worlds and it's like it's the portal fantasies that we're told when we're kids right it's Narnia and it's Alice in Wonderland but then it was real and I'm having a really difficult time reconciling these pieces of my childhood with being an adult and like what's real anymore and it's really scary. The structures, the doors, the like the, the, the magic. Did you believe that? I did when I was a kid. Do you believe it now? No. Yes. Maybe. I, I don't know. Marguerite doesn't remember dreaming about a white rabbit when she was a child. But there is, in fact, a legend, one of the town's door legends about a rabbit, back in 1880 when this town was an unnamed logging camp on the coast. Some say this event inspired Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, but this is certainly untrue. Alice in Wonderland was published in 1865, and Carroll never visited America. But there was a girl in this legend. Not an Alice, but an Anastasia. It's said that the structures in the woods were here before people arrived. This is also probably untrue. But the story goes, as the area was clear-cut, it was Anastasia and the other children of the workers that began to build their own structures in the fashion of what they found. One day, in the fall of 1880, the children began building a massive one. The structure they made is not described, but what is described are the stories the children told their parents of a white rabbit. Most accounts don't give the white rabbit a name, but it's said that in her diary, Anastasia called it the Schwankmeier. The adults grew superstitious about the structures, and in time, people came to believe that the children were summoning this white creature. Anastasia denied this and said that she was fighting it. Her father, a lumberjack named Lucas Alenki, locked her up to prevent her from going into the woods, but one night she escaped. In some versions of the story, it's only her, and in others, it's several girls from the town that go into these woods to stop the white rabbit. It's said that she or they went through a door that looked like a rabbit hole. On this last part, all of the stories agree. She, or the girls, never returned. I explore and talk about these kinds of mysteries on the radio every day. I've been face-to-face with the supernatural so often, it's just become natural. And yet I'm having a hard time believing this. But maybe that's because this isn't just some mystery. 
This is my son and my town. So I took a walk from the point out by the lighthouse, up under the rows of Victorian homes and artist studios along Wildwood Road. And I brought my dog, Agatha. Since I'm new here, she can be a bit of an icebreaker. Oh, who's a good girl? Belly rub. Oh, belly rub. You, you guys live here right next to the woods? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. you got a beautiful house. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. It wasn't always like that. <laughs> There's all those weird structures in the woods, yeah. too. Yeah, it's they, some, you know who does that? Who does that? It's a little, I guess it's like 10 kids. They're probably oh, yeah, I think elementary. I've seen them once or twice before. And that's what they do. They make those forts. And Are they like um, oh, wow. Boy Scouts or something? No, there's girls in there, too. I, as long as they don't start any fires or anything, <laughs> they can build all they want. That's cute. Actually, this guy comes up in a van that lives on Butte near that is cutting all the branches off. Oh, interesting. And then he leaves them on the ground. and then. Oh, yeah. Them. Oh, really? He's yeah. cutting all the branches? Yeah. Why so, is he doing that? Don't ask me. I guess he's bored or something. So he just cuts branches off trees? Yeah, and he leaves them on the ground. And so the kids actually pick them up and Make. build forts and stuff out of them. So it's kind of well, cool. Well, actually, yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny, though. None of these neighbors could tell me the name of the guy cutting down the branches. And none of them had children that would have gone into the woods to build. So it's not surprising that none of them told me about the Black Gate. It's Fox that told me about the gate in an offhand way, almost like it wasn't the one place that would become the focal point of this mystery. One time when I woke up and I was going back home, I saw this weird gate-ish thing. Kind of creepy. A gate? Gate-ish thing? It was like a, a tunnel made out of sticks covered in green and stuff. Leaves on it. And it looked like a gate to you? Kind of looks like a gate. A gate for people? I don't know. Just looks like a door. Don't know how it got there. It's just there. Is the gate really big? Bigger than a person? It, it, it could fit, I guess, about five people through it five short people. It's it, not tall, it's wide. Can you show it to me? Sure. <laughs> the skate he's leading us to is on the summit of the hill, and as we get there, I notice it's ringed by the other structures, like an actor on stage, surrounded by an audience. There are three other things I notice. First, the trees on the hilltop are giant, and they arch overhead like a windowless cathedral. Second, it's very quiet. I'm not the only one who notices. This place is just creepy. What's so creepy about it? Everything, the structures, the weirdness, the darkness. It's bright sunny day out there, and boom, it's dark in. It's dark in here. And what's knocking you? The third thing is that there's only one structure here. And unlike the ones that Fox and the other kids put together, this one is not made of new sticks, but old tree trunks and massive limbs, almost black with age. The gate is a giant black arch, taller than any other structure. But the tunnel through it, if you can call it that, 
is a low curve that tightens like the throat of an animal den, dangling with roots and ivy. I can see through it to the trees on the other side. I have no desire to explore it. It's surrounded by a ring of black posts, buried in the ground. Fox pointed to one of these posts that surrounded the gate. I think the creepiest thing is that. What is some built What does it look like to you? Uh, kind of like summoning posts. That's what I'm guessing. Summoning posts? Hey, you gotta somehow summon something. Like this where they would do the weird ritual dance, burn the essences, and then like lightning would strike it, and then mm. like somewhere over there that door would open, and then suddenly Cthulhu would be like squirming out. For all we know, Cthulhu could be a giant white bunny rabbit. And what would build this? A giant white bunny rabbit? Yeah, that could be Cthulhu. For all we know. Now, I don't believe for a moment that this is Cthulhu, but I will tell you that this spot feels different than the rest of the woods. If there was ever going to be a fairy ring or a gate to the underworld in these woods, this was the place. So one of the things that everybody tells me is that the town of is known for doors. Like there's legends. Like there's there's doors here that go to all kinds of places, different times, different uh, different worlds. There's big legends, lots of legends, lots of weird things that seem to happen. So yeah, is this one of those doors? It feels like this door is actually bigger than the others. A lot of the others are legends. Some of them are truth. This one seems to be one of the biggest truths. This door is this door is true. Yeah, it won't lead you anywhere that's not real. It'll lead you somewhere wrong. It's just not right. Could some of these doors be good? Probably. Some of them are like fairy tales. Good things happen, but some of them they're nightmares. Have you ever sensed any other doors besides this one, like in different parts of the town or, or anywhere else? Some places, you can tell that there is a door. You, And it's frustrating to be there because you can't reach it, but you know it's there. You want to go to it, but you can't. There's a lot of places that are like that. In or everywhere in the world? Mostly in No other place has as many doors in the area as you you are, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but you are a kid. Yeah, I mean, you were my son, but you were a kid. How do you know that? Like, every kid in has talked about it and known about it. We just tell each other to not tell people we don't really trust. Do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you a lot. It was time to learn more. So I went back up to the Black Gate and set up some of the sound-activated stereo recorders that we use in our investigations. And then I went down the hill, taking recordings and photos of some of the structures. You can see pictures in our show notes. Hey, Foxy, okay? I'll talk about what I found in those sound-activated recordings in a bit, but first, I want you to listen to an interview I made of Fox that day 
after he led us to his structure. I'm trying to see this with an open mind, but really, I'm asking myself, history or not, is the legend of the White Rabbit real? So have you ever seen a white rabbit? No, none in the woods. It's kind of creepy, but I have seen big dents in the ground. And kind of a place where the trees, they're just all falling down and like... So so not, not in the woods, but like in real life, have you seen one of those white bunnies with the red, red eyes? Only video games. In video games? You, you play any video games and they have white rabbits in them? With red eyes? Yes. Minecraft. There's there's bunnies with red eyes in Minecraft. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. You want to see a picture one? Sure. Wait, they're actually... Yeah, you've never seen... A, you've never... Yeah, they're the real thing. With red eyes? Yeah. That's um. A little spooky, horrific. I'm gonna Google it. White rabbit, red eye. Rabbit, red eye. See, it's even. It comes up automatically as a search. These are pictures of white bunny rabbits with blood red eyes. So look at that right there. What does that? What does it make you feel like? You putting your hand over the bunny. Is it too creepy? Look at that one. That one's really cute. How can you even say that that was going to, like, take over the universe? You never know. You never know. You never know when the bunny will turn bad. Have you ever heard of the legend of Cthulhu? Yes, yes, I have. Where? Many places. Books, movies, video games. Is it possible that the idea of Cthulhu and the rabbit is something that you read in a book or you played in a video game and that's that's where this dream came from? I don't think so. Why not? It seemed, I never actually played a game with an evil, red-eyed, monstrous dungeon rabbit or anything. Now, this story might have ended here. Questions of a weird but innocuous dream about a red-eyed bunny rabbit. A tradition of children building strange structures in the woods. But when we walked back the next morning to pick up the recorders I left at the Black Gate and take one more look at Fox's structure, what we found is where this story truly goes down the rabbit hole. What the... okay. It's all right. Where Fox's structure had been, there was now nothing but a pile of shattered branches and a hole as wide as a pond filled with torn up dirt, like something huge had burrowed up through the earth.
next time on Point Mystic in part two of the season premiere, White Rabbit. Civilization ends, but does you know how it ends? The apocalypse. The life will take over death, and death will take over life. Death will take over the living, and the living will turn to death. Basically, it's saying the dead will come back to life and destroy the other self that were alive. A tennis ball. The apocalypse and a tennis ball. Answers to this and other mysteries in the second half. Stay with us. The story for this episode was created by Fox, age 11, with help from his mother, Marguerite Croft, and I. Our featured song, Way Down in the Hole, is sung and instrumented by the amazing Rory Power. If you love the show, and want to hear the end of this episode, subscribe to Point Mystic, then write a review and let us know. If there's only one thing you can do, it's this. Share the mystic. This episode of Point Mystic is distributed as a shared world, creative commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 4.0 international. Which means don't sell it, but do share it with your friends, remix it, and go make great art together. And as always, thank you for listening. That was White Rabbit, part one. Now, here's part two of that story. You may not garden, but you know what a gopher hole looks like. And you may think a gopher looks like a cute cartoon animal, or a creepy rodent with elongated teeth. But whatever you think, it came up from the depths, destroyed your tomatoes, and disappeared back into the earth, mounding dirt into the hole behind it so that it's filled back up like a grave. And that's all I could picture as I'm looking at this hole that's about 15 feet across. Surrounding this hole were piles of splintered wood, all that remained of the eerie wooden structure that our son had been building when we found him two nights ago, a structure that he had been compelled to build by a dream. Only one piece of it was left standing, a long, thin spear of wood that had buried itself into the soft earth of the hole, like a grave marker, without its cross. I'm Christopher Reynaga, and this is Point Mystic. If you're just joining us now, this is part two of the episode on our local town legend of the White Rabbit. Each episode we speak about stories behind the magic, the mystery, and the unexplained. This is different. This mystery is surrounding my town, and the strange, perhaps supernatural structures that the children like my son, Fox, have built here. A structure that has now been destroyed by someone or something. Why do you need to start rebuilding it? I don't know. I just feel that it needs to be rebuilt. It's important. Well, you've, you've got to go to school. School is less important than this. I can just feel I need to build this 
right now. Why? Why? Why do? You, why do you have to rebuild this? I what don't is it? No, it just feels really important. What is this thing, Fox? I really wanted to get away from this place, but before I could say another word, Fox looked around and said, "Where's Agatha?" Agatha, puppy. Agatha, where are you? Our dog Agatha, who'd been right there with us when we found the monstrous hole, was missing. For the first time, I began to fear what was in these woods. Get her leash. It's next to the. Uh, it's next to. The, oh, you got it. Okay, bring it. Agatha. Oh, good. She came running down from the top of the hill from the direction of the Black Gate, the mysterious, massive arch of branches that all of the children's structures seem to surround. Agatha, come here. Come here. You come here. Oh, you come You sit. You sit. What do you got? What have you got in your mouth? At first I thought it was the torn remains of a sun-bleached tennis ball. Then I touched it. It was hair, white, with hints of greenish mold. Wrapped inside was something hard and splintery. She's got a bone. Oh. Uh, this is gross. <laughs> no, no, this bone is not for you. I don't know where it came from. No. no. While I clipped on Agatha's leash, Fox clambered over the splintered wreckage of his structure, and before I could stop him, he jumped down into the soft earth of the hole. I held my breath, afraid for a second that the ground might open up like a sinkhole beneath him. He put his hands onto that last standing stick of wood, as tall as I was, driven like a spear into the earth. I like it. Feels nice. Thank you. My hand was made for it. I felt numb and distracted, and wanted anything to sound normal and to keep him happy. Take it. Come on, get out of the hole. Let's go. After dropping Fox off at school, I went home to find my wife, Marguerite. Like me, she's a novelist, and I'd left her working on her latest book, which is, coincidentally, inspired by the doorway she dreamt about here as a child. So Fox and I went up there and, um, you know, to take one more look at his structure, and it's destroyed. Like, there's this huge hole there, this pit. Um, you know, we're all, it's almost like something came out of the ground and, like, like destroyed his structure, broke it down. And then, like, it, it it went back into the earth. Where's Fox? Is he okay? He's, 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 he's all right. He's at school. I took him to school. He's kind of upset, as you can imagine. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it has anything to do with this place that he showed me, which is the the biggest structure, which is at the, the top of the hill. And it's made of like these black tree trunks. It's this big arch that's uh, it's covered with like vines and like roots. And um, it's just, it's... You mean like the black gate? 
Yeah, you you. Yeah, that was um. That that was up there when I was a kid. You know, I, th- I think it's probably because you were we were you were asking all these questions and because of our conversation yesterday, and um, I was dreaming about about stuff from my childhood all night and remembering stuff this morning and um and I was thinking about that gate and I and I remembered um like it was this attraction and aversion like it really seemed really scary and I was I was remembering this morning about how um I used I used to dream about it and it was like there was something inside of it like like something really really big that was sleeping and um and I remember always thinking that as long as it was asleep, I was safe and it was okay to be there. I mean, the only thing I know, I mean, the, 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 the essential story uh, that's tied to that is the one about Anastasia building the structure back in 1880. Um, I didn't know that she was supposed to have built it. Well, I... Nobody knows what it was that Anastasia Alenki built. Um, they they don't have a description of the structure that they were building. Um, but the townspeople back then thought that she was... They came to think that she was summoning the White Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know about that. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I heard a little bit about her when I was a kid. People would talk about her some. But mostly I ran into her when I was doing research on um, rabbit lore for the book. You know, the book about the rabbits and like the different dimensions and, and doors and stuff. Marguerite had started her novel over a year ago before we moved here. Her book isn't about the white rabbit. But there are rabbits in it. And there are doors. Echoes of what's happening now. She laid out the notes from her novel... She'd been researching the history of all rabbit folklore and of dimensions and doorways around the world, not just the local legends. And there, on a photocopy, was the old Victorian photo of the local children building the structure of the headless creature, the same one depicted in the mural at Calliope's, our local cafe. That was actually part of the research. Uh, But if she was an historical figure here, they... They might have some more stuff about her at the library, you know, and and they're gonna have like new newspaper articles and stuff possibly about this happening before. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that that um, that something's happening right now with Fox and that gate and his structure. In the last time anything like this happened with with the White Rabbit legend was when Anastasia. The Anastasia legend in this town. You mean like, like a hole opening up in the ground and like something, something coming through. Yeah. Like you don't really think that's real, do you? Well, I, 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 I don't know. There's something's going on. I think, I think the more information we've got in our hands right now, the better. Well, what I'm really worried about is taking care of our son. Marguerite gave Steve, the chief librarian, a call and went down to the town library to do research for us on Anastasia and the Black Gate. 
Then I went back up to the black gate to get the sound-activated recorders I'd left there yesterday. In the confusion of losing Agatha and finding Fox's structure destroyed, I'd forgotten about them completely. The voice-activated recorder at the mouth of the black gate had not been moved. Nothing had changed at the gate. It smelled of dark earth and musk. There were no matted bones or clots of white fur on the ground, not even a single white hair. But when I crouched down at the mouth, deep inside was a red sock. Fox's missing Iron Man sock. I had a repulsion from crawling into the gate, but I reached in and took the sock back. And I brought the recording home and reviewed it. I'll tell you right now that there's nothing supernatural on this tape you're about to hear. There are no weird, unexplainable sounds. There's not something that sounds like a large creature moving through the woods, or even the sound of Fox's structure getting torn down. The structure that he was building is too far down the hill to pick up any sound from. What is on this tape is much stranger. What you are hearing is Fox and his friend Benny at the threshold of the Black Gate, just talking. We're actually walking through the way of life, and someone made this right there to show us that the veil's breaking between life and death. And why is it taking over the dead forest? Take over death. So take over death. It's trying to take over death. Something is looking, trying to get through this side to this no. side. It's the veil. This side, it's white. And on this side, the dark, scary, sad creepiness. But think of this, we're not standing, we're looking through time and life itself. Look, this is what life used to be. That's what life comes into. Civilization ends, but does, you know how it ends? The apocalypse. The life will take over death, and death will take over life. Death will take over the living, and the living will turn to death. Basically, it's saying the dead will come back to life, and destroy the others that are still were alive. A tennis ball. What a tennis ball? Whatever Fox was about to say after he says, A tennis ball? What is that? is cut off as several other kids arrive on bikes. There's nothing more to this tape. They all leave the black gate in a whisper and disappear. Was this tennis ball that they spoke of that night? the same object as the ball of white hair and bone that Agatha brought back the next morning? If so, where had it come from? And where had it gone? There'd been nothing like it at the gate when I picked up the recorders, and it wasn't where we'd left it by the trail. And so I needed to ask Fox about what he and his friends said on these tapes. Okay, so... um. I'm telling you this now. Uh, the day that we went up and you showed me the gate, you know, the black gate at the top of the hill, 
So I put down my recording equipment there so that it would record on its own all night. And I didn't know what I was expecting to find. But what I was not expecting to find was you and your friend talking to each other. Do you remember this? You're standing by the gate and you're talking about Well, you're talking about um, the apocalypse. Do you remember this? No, I don't. No, ser- seriously, you you don't you don't remember this at all. No, I remember going to sleep and then waking up in the morning and taking some Captain Crunch, and then going back to my room, playing some iPad. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna play. I'm going to play this for you so you can hear it, okay? And I want you to tell me what you think. All right, so hold on. I can tell he's holding back. He put his hand up and asked me to stop the tape. Could be close. And then he admitted as much as he knew. Something he said is coming. The white rabbit, or whatever it truly is, trying to get through from that side to this side, bringing death with it. He can hear its voice. His friends are dreaming of it, too. He and his friends want to stop this thing, and they've sworn to help each other. They all met in the woods last night to talk. Fox's structure was still standing when they went home. Fox didn't pick up the ball of white hair from where Agatha dropped it, though one of the other kids might have. Whatever that thing is, it's important. He knows that now. It's one of the things he just knew when he was having the dream again last night. He paused for a while, eyes closed, as if reliving the nightmare. And then he nodded and said I could start recording again. And do you, do you remember that dream at all? Just that there were these things in a door, a big door, and the door was opening, just little by little. And do you know what was coming through that door? I... Did you dream about a white rabbit? Not that. Something bigger. So, can, can you repeat that again? Something bigger? Yeah. What was it? I don't know. Just, just something big. Was it white? Yeah. All right. So this is, this is what I'm concerned about. Um, are the things that you and your friends are building, are they stopping the door from opening, or are they opening the door? Well, I don't know. I mean, this thing that you're building, is it is it bringing it here? Is it bringing the white rabbit here, or is it keeping it away? I really don't know. I just feel I need to build it. 
how would you feel if uh, your mom and I told you not to build it? Devastated. It would be bad. That's all I know. It'd be wrong. Bad. Something bad would happen. Something really bad. Are you scared? Yeah. I'm very scared. What are you scared of? I'm scared that you will say no, that I won't be able to rebuild the structure. And then I'm scared that whatever is behind that door will be released. The fox doesn't know whether the structure that he was building brought the white rabbit here or if it was fighting it. He feels the uncontrollable need to build, but he's also afraid. And unlike Anastasia's father, Lucas Alenki, I believe what's going on. I just didn't know what to do. Marguerite laid down a small paper journal. She'd asked Steve down at the library to help her look into the White Rabbit legend. They didn't find much more than I had until they searched through the stacks of the Town Historical Society. And there, wrapped in a copy of the original 1880 newspaper article, was the book. It was a child's school exercise book. Thin, marble paper covers with a cracked leather spine. Inside the cover, in a wild, ink-spotted script, it said, The Diary of Anastasia Alenki, age 11. The diary, past the first 17 pages, is blank. Most of the entries are undated, though it's clear that this journal was started after the events of the White Rabbit had already begun. The very first entry is simply this. Necessities to fight it. 1. The talisman. Cover it in the writing. This is the weapon against it. 2. A remnant that the Schwenkemeyer left behind. I have its fur. Make this into the unguent. 3. The wooden ward to hold it back for a time. The next legible entry, dated October 13th, 1880. We've been called by the dreams to stop it. But I am even more afraid if it is my fault. What if my dreams called it here? There are several entries like this, interspersed with mundane insights like, I picked the most beautiful blue flower today and gave it to the Lighthouse Sisters. I woke up in the woods and started crying, and Father and the grown-ups cannot understand me. The final entry is this. It is time. I will escape from the house tonight with the help of the others. It's already so late. Tonight we must, one, put unguent onto my ward, two, enter the gate on the hill, Three, pierce the monster with the talisman. Four, come home. 
I have the weapon, and Helen will bring the unguent. The word is incomplete, but there is no time left. It's coming now. I love you, Father. Anastasia. The newspaper article wrapped around it was a national paper, the Chicago Daily News, about the imaginative marvels built by the children of the coastal logging camps. The paper, which was as fragile as a moth's wings, had a badly yellowed picture of Anastasia's structure. The same image as the mural at Calliope's. I passed the other murals of the statuary, the cloud parlor, the room of faces. I set my tea down next to Anastasia's mural, the girls posing atop the headless creature made of pale branches. The mural looks the same, but something feels different. The closest girl, the one sitting atop the neck, weaving the branches, She's looking right at me now, though my original notes say that her face was completely hidden by her hair. Her eyes are dark and bottomless, and she's smiling. And this is not my face, and this is not my life, and there is not a single thing thank you for taking this journey into the unknown with me. The story for this episode, White Rabbit Part 2, was created by Fox, age 11, with help from his mother Marguerite Croft and I. Her featured song is a remix of Head Down by Nine Inch Nails from their fantastic album, The Slip. You can find out more at nin.com. If you love the show, subscribe to Point Mystic. Then tell your friends and write a review to let us know. Reviews are essential to helping others find our community. If there's only one thing you can do, it's this. Share the Mystic. This episode of Point Mystic is distributed as a Shared World's Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. Which means don't sell it but do share it with your friends, remix it, and go make great art together. Next time on Point Mystic, 
White Rabbit, Part 3. If you want to hear more of Point Mystic, go to pointmystic.org. Subscribe to the show, tell your friends about Point Mystic, and maybe some cold night you'll wake up from a dream you don't understand with splinters in your fingers. Give it a listen, and then tell me what you think. We'll be talking more later this year about the way that fiction and nonfiction intertwine in audio drama, sometimes to the good and sometimes as an impediment. Am I right about this one? Am I wrong? Let me know. Twitter is best. Tweet at us at Radiodrama. Thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. If you want to help the show, head to our website, radiodramarevival.com, and hit up our PayPal link on the right-hand side. We also could really use your ratings on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. It helps us grow the show. This is going to be a good year, I think. We've got fabulous stories, interviews with new friends and old, and engaging discussions that will brighten your day and ignite your imagination. For now, though, congrats. Our theme music is Danger Digidoo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreau, about whom the Tom Waits song What's He Building in There was written. Waits himself peeked into Matt's workshop, screamed, turned purple, and then won a Grammy. Our interview's producer is Eli McElveen, who always orders the same thing when he gets breakfast at Calliope's. Eggs over. Not over easy, over hard, or over medium, but eggs over the plate. They have to be levitating at least three inches above his toast, or he'll send it back. Tough to please, is Eli. Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau are our researchers. Heather joined the Lighthouse Sisters and rarely speaks now, but when she does open her mouth and click her tongue, a bright light blasts out from her tonsils. Monique can set fires with her mind. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouse, who's waiting for you just beyond the black gate. Close your eyes and walk forward. And you'll see him, friend. You'll see him. Touch nothing. And never look him directly in the ear. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. And this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined? (laughs) 
rugged at the same time. Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.